Welcome to One Shot Church, where our goal is to create a place for you to believe and belong. We're so grateful that you tuned in to check out this message, and we'd love to meet you in person at one of our upcoming services at 10 a.m. Feel free to check out OneShotChurch.com for more info or to follow us on any of your social media platforms at OneShotChurch. Here's this week's message. Enjoy. How many of you guys love the Christmas season? Anybody love the Christmas season? How many of you guys remember being a child and not being able to go to sleep because Christmas was coming? Right? This was the only time, the only time of the year where my sister and I slept in the same room. I'm ashamed to say that. I'm like, ew, you know what I'm saying? But this is the only time my sister and I, we would sleep in the same room, in the same bed, and guess what? We would never really fall asleep. We might have only slept about an hour or 30 minutes or so, but we were so excited with this expectation of these gifts that we were about to receive. And I remember... Uh, you know, one particular Christmas, and I don't, for whatever reason, I don't understand why I remember this Christmas, but I remember waking up, my mom and my, and, and, and wasn't awake yet, and it was still dark outside, the sun didn't even come up, and we went downstairs, and we didn't go all the way downstairs, but the tree was lit up, and I could see this mongoose bike, y'all, with pegs on it. How many of you guys remember mongoose, the, mo the trick bikes? I was like, oh my God. So we went back upstairs, and then we were doing dumb stuff like falling out of the bed and kicking the wall and just doing dumb stuff to try to wake my mom up like, yo, we trying to get up. It's Christmas time, right? So finally she gets up, and we go downstairs, and I just lose my mind because my mom got me this perfect bike that I've always wanted, and I had this Batman set with the Batmobile and Batman in it. And for whatever reason, I just remember this Christmas. I remember that bike specifically brought me so much joy. But as a result of living in the hood of PG County, Sea Pleasant, Maryland, that bike didn't last too long. Amen? Uh, the thief comes only, but to still kill and destroy. And so uh, my, 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 my love for my, my mongoose bite was short-lived uh, because of the enemy. Amen? But, uh, but, but God wins. But, uh, but how many of you guys have maybe felt the opposite of that? Like, you, you, were, you, you were maybe expecting to receive something so great. Maybe this something could change your life. Maybe this something you had your hopes up for for years, for a long time, and you didn't receive it, or you didn't get it. Or maybe even worse sometimes, the thing that you were praying for, the thing that you really wanted, the thing that you really desired, you saw someone else get. And you go, man, what? What happened to me? How, are they better than me? What's wrong with me? How come they, how come they got, how come they got a chance to? And so we can, we can be in this place of, of just discontentment and we feel the tension of, of, man, I really wanted that and I really needed that and is something wrong with me? I don't know about you guys, but, but I've been in a place where, you know, I desperately wanted something. I desperately wanted to see something and it just didn't go my way. And I was a little upset with, with God, like, God, you know, how come? You know what I mean? It's not going my way. And, and look at them and they. And how come? And I'm going to tell you something. That's a scary place to be in because that's a, that's a downward spiral. That, that thought pattern is not healthy. It doesn't bring you up. It only brings you down. And so I, God gave me this word um, that I believe that will just 
minister to your hearts. And it's out of John chapter 4. And, and Jesus makes this particular statement, especially as it pertains to a gift, that if we really understand the magnitude of this statement, it can change everything about how we think. It can change how we see God. It can change how we see ourselves. It can change how we see the world around us. So if you guys have your Bibles, you can thumb or you can, you can turn to John chapter 4. We'll have it on the screen for you just in case. And um, we'll start in uh, verse 1. And it says, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, John the Baptist he's talking about, and it says, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. So he's leaving Judea and he's going north to Galilee. And it says, and he had to pass through Samaria. We're going to come back to that statement. He had to pass through Samaria. Now, he really didn't have to because the Jews in that day, they could go around Samaria and still get to Galilee. But Jesus said, you know what? I have to go through Samaria. And then it says, so in verse five, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his sons, Joseph, his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus was wearied and he from his journey and was sitting beside the well it was about the sixth hour, meaning it was about 12 noon. The sun is at the highest point, and Jesus, just imagine this. Jesus is walking with his boys, and then he's like, y'all, fam, look, I'm tired, all right? How about this? Peter, uh, what's his face? Bartholomew, you never get mentioned in the, in the scriptures. But listen, I need y'all to go to the city, go get me some food. I'll be right here, man. I'll be all right. You know, I just need to take a break. I'm, 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 I'm tired. And Jesus is sitting there. And the disciples like, all right, cool, cool, we'll be back. You know, in a few minutes, we'll be back, right? More like a few hours, because they're walking everywhere. And Jesus is sitting there, and it's almost as if Jesus is sitting waiting on somebody. It's almost as if Jesus knows he has an appointment. And Jesus is sitting there, and he's waiting, and he's resting. And then he can see in the distance a woman walking towards him. And he looks, and he looks up, and she's looking at him, and she's like, oh, my goodness, who is this strange dude just sitting at the well? No bucket. What's wrong with him? So she's walking up, obviously trying to see what's going on with this scene. Can, can I trust him? Is he, is, he, is, he, is he crazy? Is he okay? Like, I don't know what's going on, but she's like, I didn't walk all the way this way in this hot sun to leave with no water. So she walks up to the well, and this is the conversation that takes place. And it says in uh, verse 7, a woman from Samaria, she came to draw water. Now, she didn't have to come to this particular well. There was a well in her city, but we're going to find out why she maybe didn't feel comfortable going to the well in her city. And it says, and Jesus said to her, hey, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the, into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to Jesus, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask for a drink from me? A woman of Samaria. Now, here's the deal. The Samaritans, and we're not going get, to get all into the beef, but Jews and Samaritans for almost 400, 500 years were at war with one another. They did not like one another. So much so that the Jews would go the long way out of their way because they didn't even want to go through their city. There were murders. There were, there were little wars that were happening in between these two. And so Jesus, let alone talking to a Samaritan, he's talking to a woman. And in this day, rabbis, they didn't talk to women. Rabbis wouldn't even talk to their wives or, or their daughters or their close family members in public. 
It was to be seen as unholy. We don't, we don't, we don't talk to women. I'm not going to be associated with any kind of um, ill will desire towards the opposite sex, right? You know what I mean? And so Jesus is casually like, you know, hey, hey, can you give me a drink? So she's thinking to herself, like, this dude is sure enough crazy. He's a Jewish man, no bucket, sitting in the hot sun and asking me, a Samaritan, for a drink of water. Something's wrong with him, right? Then it says, where am I at? <laughs> right. For the Jews, so John makes sure, he makes sure as we understand this. He says, for the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. John is like, hey, I just want to make sure y'all understand this. And in verse 10, it says, Jesus answered her. Now, here is the statement that can change everything about your life. Jesus answers this woman. If you knew the gift of God, if you knew the gift of God, and I love this next word, who. Sometimes in life, we're looking for the gift and we think the gift is in them, the gift is in they, or the gift is in it. You know, if I just got that, that opportunity or, or if I just got that relationship or, or if I just had favor with this person or, or if I just had this opportunity, we think that the, in that is the opportunity to change everything. But Jesus tells this woman, and we're going to see why he would say such a thing, but he says, if you knew the gift of God, who? Then he says, says to you, give me a drink. Jesus says, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water, which means running water, not well water, but running, moving, flourishing water. Now, let's look at what happens next. Verse 11, it says, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. Like you're sitting at the well, you have no bucket. This well is about 100 feet deep. You have nothing to draw with. And, and I want to step back from this story. Have any of us ever been in a situation where, yeah, we know Jesus is good. We lift our hands. We sing and all that good stuff. But maybe we look at Jesus and we say, God, are you really able to help me? Is it just me or have you ever been in that moment where it's just like, God, I know you're God. I know you're powerful. I know everything, you know. But can you really help me in this situation? Can you really turn this around for me? Like, do you really have what it takes to help me? And so she says, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. My problems, my issues are deep, God. They're big. How can you help me? And then she says, where do you get this living water, crazy man? Like, hello, we're at a well. You're talking about running water. You're talking about flowing water, which is better than well water that just percolates up out of a well. Where are you going to get this, crazy man? Like, hey, you and me are in the hot sun. You have no bucket. I do. Where are we going to get this water? And then this is what she says. And some of us, I believe many of us, we don't say this out loud, but we definitely think this from time to time. And she says, are you greater than our father Jacob? Translation, are you greater than this substance that I depend on? Are you greater than her? Are you greater than him? Can you really do better for me than what they're doing for me? Can, are you greater than, than me? 
because I think I'm doing a good job, God. And, I, and you know, and, and I think I've been doing a good job without your help. I think, I think I've been doing a good job without your crazy favor flowing in my life. So are you greater? And immediately she sizes Jesus up like we all do from time to time. And she says, are you greater? Are you greater than? And you fill in the blank. Are you greater than our father, Jacob? Listen to what she says. He gave us. Sometimes we can look at people, sometimes we can look at things and we can say, without saying, is this greater than Jesus? I mean, this seems to be meeting an immediate need in my life. And it's giving me, you fill in the blank. It's giving me, it seems to be giving me peace. It seems to be giving me joy. It seems to be giving me happiness. It seems to be getting me through. Are you greater than that, Jesus? And he says, he gave us the well and drank from it himself. And did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. As if to say, everyone who tries to pursue the thirstiness of the soul, the thirst of the soul, apart from me, you will consistently be thirsty. It's no different than this appetite we have for food. I have four ravenous young sons that eat everything, right? And when you think you fed them, like I fed you, I fed you, I fed you, you're, you're okay. Two hours later, daddy, mom, they know it really is not daddy, it's mommy. Mommy, because they know I ain't, bro, I'm not feeding you nothing. You are okay. Eat the drywall, you'll be fine, <laughs> right? But mommy, when are we eating, right? It's just like, yo, you just, you just ate. And we might be running to different things in this life like, hey, I just, it, it made you happy for a moment, but yet you need to do something else again to bring the happiness back. It made you feel good about yourself for a moment, but maybe you need to do something again to bring the goodness back. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Verse 14, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, somebody say, never be thirsty again. What a bold, audacious statement Jesus makes. That the water, the, 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 the quench or the thirst quenching water that I will provide for you will cause you to never be thirsty again. And the water that I will give him or her will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now this woman is like fam. I like what you're saying. I don't know if I really understand what you're saying. You're talking about well water. You're talking about living water. I, I'm trying to follow you, Jesus. And Jesus, is, Jesus has a way of bringing us to the end of ourselves. As we start to think, as we start to just try to follow with him, he has a beautiful way of just bringing us all the way to the end of ourselves where we just go, oh, my goodness. What is wrong with me? Listen to what he says next. Verse 15, the woman said to him, hey, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And I think when she said this statement, I think she was playing with Jesus. I don't think she really knew Jesus. Come on, man. We're in the middle of the desert at a well. You have no bucket. What living water are you talking about? But hey, I'll oblige you. I'll go along with your story. Hey, give me this water if it's real. If it's real, I'll take it. Now listen to what Jesus says. 
go and call your husbands. Or you go and call your husband. And this is where preachers love to preach. Jesus said, go and call your husband. And then listen, listen to what she says. I mean, listen to what he says. In, uh, uh, she says in verse 17, the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you are now, the one you now have is not your husband. Now, we don't know why this woman finds herself in a position where she's had five husbands. In this day, in this culture, men ruled, men dominated. Men could say, you know what, I don't really want to be with you anymore. Yvette doesn't really like this. Yvette is a, is a, is a fight for the rights of women. Amen, girl. I'm with you. I'm with you. I like messing with Yvette. But in this day, if a man didn't want you, he could, hey, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, go on somewhere. I'm going to give me another wife. So maybe this woman, just could it be that Jesus tells this woman randomly in this conversation about water, go call your husband. Could it be that Jesus is saying, this gift that I want to give you, if you knew the gift of God, this gift that I want to give you, there needs to be room available to receive it. Now, here's the thing with Jesus. When he gives a gift, he needs all the room. He's not sharing any space. Someone wants to give me a gift. I got to find out, okay, where do we put this in this house with all this stuff that we already have? Jesus says, this gift that I want to give you, your husband, those men, those places in your life can't be there. So he says, go call your husband. Now, we might look at this story, and, pre and preachers are notorious for this. We say, go and call your husband. You got five husbands, and the one you with is not even your husband. But guess what? I may not have a husband issue, but I have an issue where Jesus will say, hey, go call so-and-so. Go, 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 go call that selfish ambition that you have. Go call that greed issue that you have. Hey, go call that alcohol addiction you have. Hey, 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 go, go, go call that thing that you, you depend so much upon. Go call it. Go get it. And then we scratch our heads and we go, Lord Jesus, I don't know. And Jesus is still sitting there. And I know this woman is thinking, like, how in the world did we get from talking about water to him knowing I got five, I've had five husbands, and the one that I'm with is not even my husband. This man really is crazy. Listen to what, I always lose where I'm at. Listen to what he says. He says, what she says, she says, what you have said, or Jesus says, what you have said is true. In verse 19, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, absolutely. Jesus knows everything about our hearts. Jesus knows everything about our lives. He knows what makes us tick. He knows what gives us courage. He knows what discourages us. He knows what, what tempts us. He knows everything about our hearts. And the thing about this story that we have to understand is Jesus is saying, let me be the Lord of your heart. Let me be the one that quench the thirst of your soul. Because I'm going to tell you something. It's just like my kid's appetite. You're going to keep eating and you're going to keep needing more. You're going to need more and more and more and more. But Jesus has a way of satisfying the soul like no one else. Jesus is the only one that can satisfy the soul. Listen to what happens next. 
Our father, she said, worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem in the pl is the place where people ought to worship. Now, I used to always read this and go, how in the world does she jump from talking about her husband's to talking about our father's worshiped on this mountain? And you know, it was this week that I realized that, you know what, what she did is what we all do. The moment we are confronted with the end of ourselves, the moment we see who we really are in the light of the presence of Jesus, we immediately think to ourselves, what do I need to do to fix this? What do I need to do to make this right? What do I need to do to fix this problem? What do I need to do to clean myself up in the presence of God? Where, see, when we think of worship, we think of what we just did a few moments ago. But in her mind, she just came to the end of herself. Jesus helped her to see who she was in light of his presence. She was aware of her sinfulness. She was aware of her brokenness. So immediately she says, I need to worship. I need to offer a sacrifice. I, I need, I, I got to offer a sacrifice in order to fix this, God. But she says, hey, I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. Jews worship on that mountain. Samaritans worship on this mountain. I just want to know where God is so I can worship. I just want to know what the right place is, what the right holy place is, so I can make myself right before God. And listen to what Jesus says. She's, uh, well, she's, Jesus said to her, verse 21, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. What are you talking about, Jesus? Jesus is immediately telling her, I know what you're thinking. You want to make things right. You want to offer a sacrifice. You, 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 you feel the weight of your sin and you know Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So you want to worship God. You want to fix things. But he said the hour is coming where it ain't going to matter which mountain you worship on. Listen to what he says. He says in verse 22, you worship what you do not know. We, speaking of the Jews, worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. And listen to verse 23. But the hour is coming and now is here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit... And in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Jesus, what are you talking about? Jesus is saying, you've been offering animals. You've been offering your, your sacrifices. But there is an offering. There is a sacrifice that my Father will only find pleasing and acceptable and satisfying and fulfilling. And Jesus points to himself and says, listen, the reason why it won't matter where you, where you offer your sacrifice is because I will be the sacrifice for you. I will be the one that will worship the Father, and the Father will be so pleased with my offering for worship that you will not need to make things right for yourself. You will not need to try to fix it. You will not need to try to, to try to clean yourself up because guess what? This offering, who I am, I'm going to be the one that makes you clean. Look at what happens next. John says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in the spirit and in truth. What it means to worship in spirit and truth, it means to you receive Jesus, knowing that Jesus, if you knew, if you knew the gift of God, who says to you, receiving Jesus as the only offering, as the only sacrifice, as the only gift 
to humanity that can make us right, that can make us acceptable, that can make us approved. If you receive this offering of worship, God says, I will accept you. And this is the truth because this is the true way to worship. It's no longer in you trying to make yourself right. It's no longer in you trying to fix it. It's in what Jesus has done to fix it that is the truth. And that is the true worship that our Father will receive. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And this is one of the, one of the, I think it's only two times, but this is one of the only times Jesus plainly, plainly, plainly says who he is. Listen to what he tells this woman. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, I'm he. I'm the Messiah. I'm the gift you've been waiting for. I'm the one that will fix it. I'm the one that will make it right. And see, I love this Christmas season because this season really helps to give me perspective. It reminds me that Jesus is the greatest gift that could ever be given by the greatest person that could ever give it. Listen to what Isaiah says. He lived 600 years before Jesus even appeared on the scene. And Isaiah prophesies, oh, actually, I wanted to say this. Christmas is the celebration of the greatest gift that could ever be given by the greatest person that could ever give it. And listen to what Isaiah says. He says, therefore, the Lord himself, I love this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Listen carefully. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. We just sang, your presence is heaven for me. God says, home is not a matter of the four walls and the roof over your head. Home is not a matter of, 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 of where you grew up and where you lay your head every night. Home has come to tabernacle with us, has come to live with us, and not even just dwell with us, but has come to dwell inside of us. Because home, home, is really Jesus. Home is Jesus. And Jesus says, my name is Emmanuel. I'm who you need me to be. And I'm wherever you need me to be. I am a God who isn't distant from you. I am a God who has sent the gift of my presence to be with you and to be in you. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians. I mean, not Colossians, Corinthians. I love this so much. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 1.30. But it is from him. Come on, somebody. I love this. But it is from him that you are in Christ Jesus. This has nothing to do with you. This has nothing to do with your strength. This has nothing to do with your effort, your willpower, your discipline. And it says, but it is from him. It is a gift from him that you are in Christ Jesus. I love this. Who became to us wisdom from God which means to reveal his plan of salvation. God has given you this wisdom to understand his goodness, his, his glory, and what he's doing in your life and what he's doing in the earth. He's saying Christ is your wisdom. You don't need to go read 10,000 books to find out and to discover what wisdom is. 
You don't need to go search some dude in Tibet on a high mountain to sit down and I can't even sit cross-legged. But you don't need to do that to seek out wisdom. There's only one person you need. There's only one person you need, and his name is Christ Jesus. He says, who became to us wisdom from God. And look at this next word, righteousness. In the Amplified Version, it says, making us acceptable to God. Do you know what and who makes you acceptable to God? Jesus. It's Jesus who makes you acceptable to God. It's not the fact that you prayed for 10 hours. It's not the fact that you, 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 you didn't do this and you didn't do that and you, you, you have all of these standards of what you think righteousness is. God says this, my son, Christ, he is the standard of righteousness and he has became righteousness for you. He is who make you, he is who makes you acceptable. It's his offering of obedience to climb upon a bloody cross and offer his life for you. And God says, I look at that offering which I gave. John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God, the sacrifice from God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus hangs there as God's offering, as God's sacrifice. And he brings so much pleasure, so much satisfaction to his father that his father looks upon that offering and he says, I'm satisfied. I'm, I, that's acceptable. And all those who put their faith in Jesus, all those who rest, all those who lean into Jesus in that form of worship, God says, I find you to be acceptable, just as acceptable as my son is, because he is your righteousness. He is your acceptance. Listen to this next big theological word. It says that Christ has become to us sanctification. What does that mean? That means making us holy and setting us apart for God. Do you know that Jesus is what sets you apart from everything else? And he sets you apart. And these groups of scholars says he makes you holy. He makes you worthy. He makes you a, 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 a useful being to his father. That's who Jesus is to you. And he says this other big word in redemption. Providing our ransom for the penalty for sin. Jesus is my redemption. Jesus is the ransom that climbed upon the, I'm never going to stop preaching this. Jesus is the one who ransomed me. Jesus is the one who emancipated me. He's the one who freed me. And he didn't free me by coming down from heaven and opening up his wallet and saying, okay, how much? No, the currency for my redemption, the currency for your redemption was his own blood. Mm -mm -mm. His own blood. And he bled for you. Peter said this. He said, we're not redeemed with corruptible things like gold and silver. He said, we've been redeemed, we've been emancipated, we've been freed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And I want to end with this verse right here. Paul says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. Paul says that God, he who did not spare even his own son, somebody say gave him, gave him. 
gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? That if God would give Jesus, that if God would offer Jesus, that if God would take the most valuable commodity, the most valuable person to him, and he would offer him for you, how, how hard is that job for God to give to you? How hard is for that door to be open for you? How hard is it for you to get this favor, to get accepted to that school or that school? How hard is it for God to heal? How hard is it for God to, if he gave Jesus, how will he not along with him? And I love this word, graciously, meaning freely and abundantly give. Not stingily, not like, you know, I'm gonna give you a little bit just because you ain't acting right. You need to get your life together. No, it says he graciously gives us all things. But guys, here's the problem. Here's the problem. If we go back to the statement that Jesus made in John chapter 4, do we know the gift that Jesus is to us? Do we know the gift of God? Because in our culture, man, God is fading away. They said North America is actually following the path of Europe, meaning that we be, we're becoming more secular. People are going to church far less than they've ever have, like ever, <laughs> ever have since the church was, was started. People are starting to say, you know what, I don't, and Christians. And I'm not, I'm not trying to get on a rant, but I'm just saying it's, it's amazing how when we find ourselves in the darkest places, who do we call out on? Who, who do we pray to? Who do we text everybody and say, hey, pray for me, pray for me? It's almost like, Jesus, hey, you are the greatest gift ever when it's convenient. But look, I'm going to put you right there. Don't move. It's going to be all right. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Jesus, I need you. And it's almost like we play this game with Jesus like he's shelfable. We can just use him when we need to use him. And here's the crazy thing. Shun and I were talking about this. What's so crazy is that we think we're using God because we know he'll always be there, but this will blow your mind. We don't use him. We can't use him. The crazy thing is he still, even though we are ignorant, even though we reject him at times, he's still willing to say, you know what? I'm here. I'm here for you. What? Man, you, you treat me like that? You're done, player. <laughs> You're done. You're not getting nothing from me. But God is so ridiculously good. It's almost like somebody needs to tell him, hey, you, you, you love a little too much. Somebody needs to counsel you, brother. Like, this love thing, you're taking it way too far. You're God. No, God says, but this is who I am. This is who I am. So you can go. You can shelf me. And guess what, when you shelf me, and when you're done running around, when you're done with your five husbands and you come back to me, I'm gonna be right here for you. Wow. Mm. <laughs> God is good, man. And this is why I do what I do, because I know the world does not know. They don't know the gift of God. They think they do, but they don't know. And God is so good, and he's so gracious, and he's here for us. And my prayer for my own life, is that I would know, that I would know, that I would appreciate, that I would value the gift that Jesus is to me.
pray for you guys. <clears throat> Jesus, I thank you so much. I thank you so much for your irrational love, God. It makes no sense at times how good you are, how faithful you are, how kind you are. And God, I thank you for loving us all. I thank you for being good to us all. And God, I just ask that in this moment right now, that, Father, we would, in a sense, refocus and realign our hearts. Jesus, help us not to shelf you when it's convenient. And help us not to, not to pull you off of the shelf when we feel like we need you. But help us to value you. Help us to understand the statement you made to that woman at the well. If you knew the gift of God who says to you, trust me receive me, believe in me, hope in me. God, help us to know the gift of God that Jesus is to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.